Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist. Um, I'm Amanda. I'm Sarah. And we're back with another episode this week during coronavirus. Um, I don't know why I, I don't, do I sound happy about it? I'm not happy about you it. You sounded happy about it. So <laughs> we're both in quarantine right now. We're not in studios or anything. And maybe going a little crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> what better time to record a podcast than when you're practicing social distancing? Exactly. <laughs> so we thought we would just check in with each other this week and with all of you. I'm just kind of give a rundown of our general coronavirus anxieties because we have them, as I'm sure everyone listening does as well. Yes. Um, it's been a crazy couple weeks. Let's see, we're recording this on ooh, St. Patrick's Day. So I would say coronavirus has been at the forefront for like at least two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and things like really went into overdrive towards the end of last week. And so now basically, you know, Sarah and I and everyone we know are, we're all practicing social distancing and voluntary, not full quarantines, but like 75% quarantine. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? 75%. <laughs> like, we're still kind of we're going to the grocery store when we need groceries. Like you Yeah, know. I'm, but they say you're allowed to do that. So I've definitely, yeah. we've changed our behavior. Right. So we stay in. We have plenty of food, but, like, I didn't do the, like, freak out stock up on toilet paper or paper towels. So, like, in my instance today, I was trying to order paper towels through Amazon, but they're all sold out there. And I'm like, am I really going to go to the store to buy a roll of paper towels? Because I live in an apartment, so the most I ever buy is one, maybe two rolls. So, yeah, I'm yeah. once I'm once I'm out, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, so it's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks, and I thought we could just talk a little bit about how we've been feeling. Like, let's do a mental health check, check-in, yeah. and then how, you know, how things have changed for us the most. Um, definitely being home all the time is, like, weird. Like, I'm teleworking. Um, I know you're, you've been at home, so that part is drastically different like today's day and I like being at home working at home the last couple of days I've been like this is this is so weird it's, there's no snow outside there's no reason for me to be at home like this is just bizarre first off guys bad news the cancel culture war is over they've won we've lost everything is canceled, canceled. everything is canceled so um so to check in on how I'm coping with this new world, which I'm not sure if this is our new normal, there have been plenty of think pieces out there that are stoking people's fears um, about, you know, pandemic outbreaks every year. Um, don't think that not the new normal, but it's definitely changed my consumer behavior. So I really would only go to the store when I needed something. I never would buy in bulk and I'm not saying I'm going to change that but what I will be doing is figuring out a delivery schedule moving forward for the groceries and toiletries I need I currently do this with a couple items on Amazon but I really want to beef that up with like a like a grocery store delivery Um, I also have one of those like um, I forget the name of the brand of uh, 
trash cans that you have to have like or order all of the trash bags that specifically fit in it but so my trash bags have been shipped to me in three month increments for a couple years now um so yeah i'm just i'm gonna automate my purchasing as much as possible so when things like this happen they're just kind of on a steady progression and i don't have to worry about like going out and getting stuff yeah that's smart like the more you can get stuff delivered to you mm-hmm. that's a good idea yeah. Um, but how has your, I don't know, has this whole coronavirus thing, like watching it, watching the news or like kind of being so aware of this 24-7, how has it affected your stress levels or anxiety? Well, I've been consciously tuning out of any kind of news for the last couple of weeks, which I also realize is kind of terrible timing during a pandemic to like not pay attention to like that kind of stuff. But I, I've been going on to like the CDC website for all of my information about this. So I don't really need talking heads to um, hype me up in any kind of way. But honestly, it's it's the text messages from family and friends that are like freaking out. That's the only thing that gives me mild anxiety just because I want to just like give them a hug but I can't (laughs) and just be like, guys, it's a lot of this is outside of our control. If you're doing all the right things, then like, let's just see how this plays out. But for goodness sake, hoarding all of the toilet paper, I'm going to be a very angry person (laughs) when I run out of toilet paper and there's nowhere to get toilet paper. Like, I'm going to, I feel Yeah, I mean, I, I've done, like, the complete opposite. As coronavirus ramped up, my, um, like, news absorption, like, scaled up with it. Uh-huh. Like, I can't stop watching the news. I can't stop being on Twitter. I'm, like, constantly scrolling on my Twitter feed to get the latest. And um, I don't know. I Like, my stress with it has kind of been like on a roller coaster like sometimes mm-hmm. I have days like today where I was like you yeah, know whatever like I'm not thinking about it that much and then a couple of days ago like I was really kind of freaked out about it and what freaks me out the most is seeing like videos and like seeing on the news of what's going on in other countries like Italy um and especially Italy right now because you always think like, it's so far away. It's never going to happen here. Like, that mm-hmm. stuff doesn't happen to America. And then you start seeing all this stuff in a country like Italy. And then it's like, uh, this actually could happen here. And then what if it does happen here? And I have, like, I have family members who are kind of, like, not the exact opposite. But, like, I texted some of my relatives in South Carolina to check in. And my family in South Carolina were, like, Ugh, this is so lame. Uh, you know, I guess we're taking precautions, but life is basically going on as normal. And like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the governor closed schools. This is ridiculous. And I was texting them, I don't know, a couple days ago, and I was like, this is serious. Like, you guys need to be careful. You guys need to not go out. You need to like distance, like take mm-hmm. this seriously. And so then I kind of freaked out because I felt like, Maybe they, they weren't taking it as seriously as I want. So I'm like texting my grandma. Thankfully, thankfully my grandmother like got it, and she was like, "Oh yeah, don't worry. I'm like basically not leaving the house." And I was like, "Good." Yeah. My grandma, I'm an 80 year old grandmother. Yeah, like my 80. my 
my grandmother is not quite 80. Um, she's in her 70s. But similar, similar thing where I'm just like, I, I texted her and she's like, that's so thoughtful of you. But like, I'm all good. And I was like, you let me know if you need any groceries. I will help get shipments. Yeah. Like, and so she's, she's. Yeah, but by all means, she's being very smart. And I actually haven't talked to my mom or dad about coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> knowing my father, he's probably just like, I do what I want. My mom is a nurse. I mean, my, my mom is at home because her school closed yesterday. But my dad is still at work. And I was like, Mom, it doesn't matter if if you stay home, okay, that's fine. But like, if dad is out there, like at work and being exposed, like, it doesn't really matter if you've been home. Like, he's gonna expose you to whatever. I don't know. I, I know. My mom is a school nurse for immune compromised children, so mm-hmm. pretty sure she's not working right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I bet she's a nurse and she's smart about this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. My my father is a type of person who's just like everything you think of, like a like American cowboy. My dad is not a cowboy, but it's just like, I do what I want kind of stuff. Yeah. Individualism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you see there was this crazy video circulating on Twitter today? Um, uh, So like yesterday, there was news footage of Clearwater Beach, Florida. And it was like an aerial aerial footage of the beach. And like the beach was packed. What? Okay. So it was like everyone was freaking out about oh yeah, I'll put it in show notes, but like everyone on Twitter is like freaking out about like why are the beach why are the beaches packed? Like are people this stupid? And so today, I don't even remember who put it out. I'll have to go look. Um, like some reporter went down to the beach to like talk and of course it's all like young people to talk to the kids that are on the beach um, today. And it's all like uh, college age students, and um, every single one of them, they were like, "We don't let fear like drive our lives." And this a couple girls that um, this reporter talked to, um, they actually said, uh, "Well, it's like it's spring break, so like we're not gonna let this ruin our spring break." Like, duh. And so their reactions in this video, it's like hilarious and depressing all at the same time. There's a person I, who um, <clears throat> posted a video. So this wasn't just a story on Instagram. actually posted a video, and the comment was, we're stronger than the coronavirus. And it's all these kids <laughs> at a bar somewhere in Texas. I think it was Austin, Texas, just, like, fucking partying it up. And I was like, I, I didn't say anything. It's just, I just let, oh, my gosh, you got so like owned oh by God. the comments people were like what the fuck are you doing yeah <laughs> go home <laughs> You're like, not stronger than you and th- they make this like a thing about toughness that's the cultural thing that's yeah. like a big problem for like americans right now i know i have a friend who was just working uh just wrote an article about um how president trump was used uh talking with faith leaders mm-hmm. um to help spread information to their congregations about like social distancing and like helping to stop the spread of coronavirus is our friend Francesca Chambers shout out we'll link in notes (laughs) um but yeah I thought that was really honestly smart because that's just uh 
if we're being honest about like evangelicals, they're not really going to be watching mass or sorry, mainstream news and being like, okay, I believe all this. So who do you trust if not for your pastor? So, yeah. Um, So what do you think about, well, have you, have you, because this is all, I think came out mainly today, but like the White House is trying to push through some kind of like stimulus package to help with the economic, like, you know, fallout Mm -hmm. from coronavirus. And they're pushing like a trillion dollar stimulus package that will include like help for the airline industry, which I think is kind of like bogus, but what do I know? Um, and it has like some relief for small businesses, which is good. And then it includes also like direct payments to Americans. And they're talking about if this passes and Congress approves it, um, like the federal government will send a thousand dollar checks to every American adult. Like literally just send us checks in the mail. Yeah, I like <clears throat> And like Mitt Romney came out in, in favor of something like that. And so did Tom Cotton from Arkansas. I'm pro stimulus if it goes to individuals. Mm-hmm. I am highly skeptical of stimulus that goes to any business, big or small. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand there's a lot of economic impact right now, but it's it's because individuals aren't able to go out and make those purchases like normal. But I'm more concerned for like, hourly workers people that are working for tips you know the like two dollars and 13 cents hourly work like what's gonna happen like are their landlords gonna give them grace for making rent or are the banks gonna give them grace for making their mortgage payments like what about what about your credit card payment what about your cell phone bill like those are like i don't want to give any money to a big company that's still gonna fucking like slap sorry i keep saying the f word <laughs> um sorry everyone i'm I, i'm really not that fired up about this and just a bad habit um no but like that that's those it's i'm, I'm more concerned about the individuals not because every company is going to get hit hard by this every single one of them yeah. um and i'm sympathetic to that but like, like why like why do you yeah i, I mean I'm, I'm totally with you like why I mean, I know the airline industry is going to get hit, but I'm sorry, it's the airline industry. Like, they'll recover. Yeah. Right? Like, I, when I, I think saw... banks will recover. Verizon and AT&T will be okay. Yeah. Um, but, like, why... It's it's the people that are going to hurt. Like, this is going to hurt people's credit scores. People that were planning think, on buying a house might... Company, like, and, and they were talking now. about, like, helping, like, the hotel industry... And it's like, okay, and casinos even sell some merch. I don't know if that's true, but it's like, okay, hotels are going to, like, fire half their workers before they take any kind of hit on the bottom yeah. line. Exactly. So, and we've already seen that with a lot of a lot of companies have done mass layoffs. Like, oh, my gosh, who was it? Uh, somebody told me Compass Coffee just laid off, like, 70, 70% of their workers. That's legit my favorite coffee shop in D.C. But, I mean, that just goes to the point, like, they'll be okay. They're cutting their costs because if they're not open, if people aren't buying coffee, like, well, I mean, it all comes back to like, you know, leases, lease payments and like mortgage payments and whatever else. There are some small businesses that will probably not be okay. And that's really sad. And I, I do would would support some kind of like relief for them. And I don't know what that would look like because I, I, 
I have no idea. I don't know if the issue is going to be like what you said, like rent payments for them yeah. or if it's going to be something else. Hey, um, I'm, I I'm pretty. Owner, like, I, I saw the owner of the DC Improv Club real quick um, mm-hmm. put out a statement today saying that she had to fire her entire staff and she's not sure if like her club will survive coronavirus and if it will ever be able to reopen and like that's really sad but i don't know what kind of relief package congress could pass that would help her fast enough to like prevent that from happening it's yeah it's really tough um but i i know one industry i don't think deserves a nickel and that is the banking industry (laughs) Well, I don't think they're even. I, I don't even know if like the banking industry is part of the conversation at this point. It might be. I just don't know. But yeah, I've, I've mainly heard airlines, 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 and um, small businesses. Which... For as much money as the American people pay to bail them out ten years ago, like yeah. they better be doing forgiveness, forgiveness payments for mm-hmm. the next year i'm i'm gonna say year like because like that is just like unacceptable if not just just like yeah i mean and i could go down this whole rabbit hole about like personal finance which i don't want to do on this episode because we've talked about personal finance a few times on this podcast before but you know and i'm not directing this at like you know hourly workers who just by the nature of their jobs have to or live paycheck to paycheck. I know that's a harsh reality for a lot of people in America, um, but it just does. It does make you think. Like as a society and as a people and as a country, like is this going to make us think twice about how we spend our money and how we save or don't save? Like I know I saw an article when I was reading something about EBI, and I'll put this in the show notes. But there was an article. From like a year ago on CNBC and the headline was like less than 40%, something like less than 40% of Americans have $400 in savings right now. And like, that's really scary. And you always yeah. think, you know, if it, if, if, if something happens, you know, I'll borrow money or I'll get a loan or like, I'll, I'll figure something out if, if, if something drastic happens. Um, but in a time like this, like everyone and like everyone's in the same boat and you can't necessarily just like go borrow money mm-hmm. or borrow it because everyone is hoarding their pennies right now. Doesn't it make you think twice just about your own finances and like, like, shoot, should I have been saving more this whole time? Honestly, even if, even if we get, you know, checks for a thousand dollars in the mail, like, not knocking a thousand dollars it's a lot of money but how far is that going to get you if you're really struggling like is yeah. that even going to be enough to pay your rent not if you live in brooklyn not if you mm-hmm. live in bc and so it's it's almost like what's the point I, I mean i mean i'm not saying like what's the point but like it's almost like just a tease more than anything else like gee for this a thousand dollars you know it can pay half my rent this month yeah like that's my landlord's not going to be like, you know, happy with fifty percent of my rent. I don't, I don't know. I just I don't know. that's that's like a whole other rabbit hole that we we don't necessarily have to go down. But it's just another another thing that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's why they're taking this so seriously right now. I think honestly that is the biggest reason why they're 
making sure they're taking such high precautions to keep people away from other people is because of the financial, like not to uh, make light of human life, but if we're being honest, the people that are making these decisions really, that's not what keeps them up at night. The economy is keeping them up at night. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Stock market. Yeah. It's just crazy. And I'll be curious to see like how long this lasts, how long we're having these conversations, like if Congress gets their act together and passes something, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I, it's just like, I feel like life right now is one big massive question mark. And um, I know it always is kind of like that, but it is like extra uncertain right now. It's yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, but the one thing I was thinking about was so how does this change how the like how does this change the job market when we bounce back how does this change in particular uh companies that deal with shipping and logistics um because I feel like there's a huge opportunity here and if any like board for any of these corporate companies aren't already talking about this now like they're silly but like there is a huge demand for delivery right now. Humongous. Cannot feel it. Like so many things are um, out of stock at Amazon. Um, there are Amazon's already like limiting what they're shipping to essential items. Uh, uh, you know, Uber Eats and stuff like that. Like those are in super high demand right now for the people that are actually willing to go out there and traverse, you know, Corona infested streets. Um, it's just there's not a there's obviously going to be a lot more demand and I think this changes consumer behavior just moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think people yeah, are going to get used to this and then they're just going to like it and I think the same thing goes for how people are in the entire country is telecommuting right now. It's going to become the new normal. Like if everyone has to do it, the stigma around it for a lot of older folks, it breaks cuz yeah, well, that's definitely a silver lining for sure. Yeah. Like if we can if we can all be as productive and get through this um by telecommuting, like there's no reason why telecommuting can't become more the norm in the future. Which is something I can totally get behind. Mm-hmm. But this hurts uh movements like mass transit. Mm-hmm. Um it's really hard to be super green or only get organic in the middle of a pandemic. Um, no matter how conscious, uh, climate conscious you're trying to be. Um, there's a whole lot less cars on the road, which is good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so. I don't know, it's a lot to think about. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to even wrap your head around it, at least for me at this point. But you're right. Like, this is going to change, like, a lot of aspects of our life probably yeah. for a long time yeah. and, we can't, and we don't even need I, and we probably don't even know like what all those changes are going to be I'm sure this conversation is barely scratching the surface and when we're talking like six months from now like we might be like oh yeah I remember coronavirus but then when you when we really think about it we'll be talking about all the things that changed that never like changed back mm-hmm. I don't know it's weird to think about but I think you're totally right well, if you're, if, things are. 
I, I'm just curious to see if the demand for delivery stays up to where it is now because if for anything else, companies need to be able to work on their scaling of resources for delivery in moments like this. Um, the same way that restaurants prepare for big demand days like uh, like places that do wings for the Super Bowl, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. I know that's like a very small like uh, example, but you guys get the point. Yeah. Anyways. I do think, though, that this is an interesting... So you know how, like, Andrew Yang was all about, like, how automation is going to just, like, steal our jobs? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it, he could be right, because you know what can't spread a contagious disease? A robot. A robot. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine, like, little robots delivering our food. And, like... that's, probably, that's probably not too far away. It's, like, in the next uh, five years. Uh, so, I... I don't know. This is so weird. But, uh, you know, in all fairness uh, to that, they can spread viruses. You did not. Mom joke. Um, oh, good one. Wow. Um, okay. So the one, another positive thing, another positive thing that um, Corona has done with my life. I should not like, I'm like abbreviating it. <laughs> but um this is like kicked me into spring cleaning mode like in overdrive. My house is so clean right now and now I've just gotten to like super cleaning where I'm like taking all my books off of the shelf and I'm dusting them and I'm flipping through all the pages and I'm like wow. vacuumed under all of like I moved my furniture and I vacuum under all of them. I've been uh I mean so speaking of um you know, we were talking before about people like hoarding tendencies. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hoarder by any means, but I've noticed that there are a lot of things that I have a lot of. So I'm a connoisseur of like um, skincare products. I have a ton of them. So I'm like using this time to just like go through them all. Nobody needs 20 face like sheet masks. So I'm <laughs> treating myself every night to take a nice bath and do a sheet mask. Nice. Uh, so I'm like trying to like pair down use up my things like get room like so this is very like i'm not throwing things away i'm just using them so there's less things in my space um like i think that is like my total mood right now because i want to get to a more like i feel like i'm very i live a very simple life anyways but this has been a little illuminating to realize that there's a lot more that i could cut out of my life yeah. financial expenses like monthly recurring stuff but also just like of the things I already have so. yeah that's a good way to look at it mm-hmm. it's really good I think so too um and I will also say um since we're talking about hoarding stuff there is some like weird stuff I've noticed that were like was out of stock at my grocery store the last time I went to get like my essentials um and I want to tell you about it because I thought it was really funny <laughs> okay pickles so random all the pickles were gone except for one jar um uh boxed macaroni like instant macaroni i believe that because like, when like, my husband went to the store he came home with like 12 boxes of macaroni and i was like we never eat macaroni why no did you this? wait and he probably went to the giant right yeah yeah that's the that's the store i went to and i was like where is all the macaroni <laughs> apparently you're 
freaking husband. Even <laughs> all the other dudes that went out to grocery shop, they were just like, hey, let's get macaroni. Like when he brought it home, I was like, you're not, are you really going to eat that? Because I, I don't eat mac and cheese. Like really, I don't. I think that <laughs> also plays into the shortage of butter selection. So it was only like these gigantic things of like butter that you would like, I guess, use if you worked in like a industrial kitchen, like huge blocks of butter. Um, not like the little sticks that are nicely wrapped. So I had to get some weird butter. Um, and uh, all of the paper towels, as I mentioned before, and all of the antibacterial soap everywhere is gone. Just gone. You can't get it. Oh, speaking of antibacterial soap, did you get the story about the guy in Tennessee that went on a 1,300-mile road trip like at the beginning of all this coronavirus stuff? to buy all the antibacterial soap that he could Okay, this is crazy. This is another tangent that I can't believe I didn't bring up before. But there was this big New York Times article that came out over the weekend about a guy that went, like, at the very beginning of March, like, when this was, like, kind of in our world, but not really, Mm -hmm. um... He drove around ten, like the state of Tennessee and in, into Kentucky, and basically stopped at every like little store he could find and bought just wiped out every store of the antibacterial, like whatever stuff, and because he wanted to put it on Amazon and eBay and resell it like with a jacked up price, and he got away with it for like a week, week and a half or something, and made like forty thousand dollars. Because, you know, people were panic buying and buying and spending $80 on one bottle of antibacterial soap. And then, yeah. That's illegal. Yeah. Well, so the New York Times ran this article about it. And then, um, you know, obviously Amazon and eBay started cracking down on the price gouging and, um, like, closing down these seller stores. But isn't that crazy? I just can't believe it. Yeah, I'll I'll put the article also in show notes. It's kind of crazy, but um. Anyway, I don't know. That was a tangent, but just well, I mean, there's a smart way to price gouge, and there's a wrong way to price gouge. You yeah. can easily mark it up like I don't know three to five dollars without anybody mm-hmm. noticing. If you're marking it up to eighty dollars a bottle, I mean, like, it was pretty insane. And he he was you know buying. I don't know how much, let's just say they went for like two, like he bought it for like $2 a bottle or something. He was marking it up to like $18 on average. Yeah. And when the reporter would like talk to him about it, that he was trying to justify it to say like, yeah, well, you know, maybe it cost me $2 to get it, but it cost me, you know, more money to get it to you. And, you know, that's why I have to mark up the price and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, okay, that is not how this is supposed to work. Um, and he got so much flack for it just online and just in general in the media, I guess. And people figured out, this is kind of sad, like some people in the media figured out um, where his storage unit was that he was keeping it all because the New York Times ran like a photo with the story of him at his storage unit. And so they just kind of like all showed up at his storage unit and like harassed him so much that he basically um, caved and decided to donate all of the soap to, I don't know, charities or whatever. But um, anyway, interesting story. I don't even know what to say to that. 
I know. It's like, dude, seriously. What it's just you, like a depressing story is. all around. Yeah. Um, but he's not the only one. Like, a lot of resellers were doing that, but I don't know. He was the one dumb enough to give, like, a whole interview to the New York Times about it. Uh, so. Yeah. That's rule number one. Don't talk to the press. <laughs> they're interested in you. They're, if they're interested in you as the story, it's probably not good. <laughs> they're not yeah. out there just trying to write, like, what a great entrepreneur. <laughs> I know. Good thinking there, bud. Oh, wow. Anyway. Anyways, um, one other weird thing that I'm having to grapple with right now is, so I'm a first-time candidate. I'm running for a, like, a state party position in Virginia, and um, it's really weird. Well, because I, first of all, I've never actually run for any office before, but this, um, it's really weird because I don't know how to tastefully campaign during a pandemic to people I don't know because I'm having to like it's is not like general public it's like party delegate kind of things so I'm just like oh like how does this work but then also my elections are in May and it's by it's like a convention so you actually have to like show up and like be there like caucus style so I mean not like a caucus but like you have to physically be there like a caucus so I don't know if it gets canceled or not because it's you know beginning of May so like that's a weird thing but then wow. it got me thinking about all kinds of other political ramifications of, like, mm-hmm. big events. Like, what happens to the census? Like, yeah. if, like are, are we going to try to, like, really make sure that people go online or fill out their things? Like, because they normally also have, like, all these, like, paid door walkers that come after, like, several rounds to, like, yeah. collect data. I just don't know how that's going to work. Um, I, don't I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. And then I was thinking about, like, so what if this happened, like, a month ago, and it was during the Iowa or Nevada caucuses? Can you imagine? Like, there's no backup plan. Exactly. The Iowa caucus turned out to be such a train wreck already. Like, but, yeah, if this had happened, um, was it a month ago or two months? Yeah. It might have been two months. But, like, we'll say, like, a month ago. That would have been crazy. Yeah, and and then it's just like, does this change? Like, do we have to think about like security for elections and like these types of events moving forward? So like, are in in like mail-in ballots going to be like the new thing? Are we going to have virtual options? Like that opens up a whole nother can of worms in terms of like election security and like verifying voters. Holy moly! Um, I know. I know. But, uh, speaking of campaigning during a pandemic. 2020 still has to go on or at least I should pretend to pay attention to it so um yeah you had some really fun things to talk about yeah I know so let's like pivot away from coronavirus for a little bit there's other things going on in the news um which is crazy because like amidst all this like panic about coronavirus it's like really easy to forget that there's still a presidential campaign going on Mm -hmm. um and there was a debate Sunday night, actually, which I don't know if you watched, but I did. It was interesting because it was just Bernie and Joe Biden. And that's I it. didn't watch it and I haven't read any analysis. Yeah. So you are the first oh, opinion. Really? Hearing okay. this. So it was really interesting um, because there was no audience. And I thought the moderators, moderators did a really good job just kind of letting them ask each other questions and like kind of go at it. Mm-hmm. And um it was 
It was weird, but one of the, the one of the big takeaways from the debate Sunday night was that Joe Biden came right out and pledged to pick a woman as his vice presidential running mate. Like he made the pledge Sunday night. Oh. Um, so obviously, like a lot of lefties were like, "That's amazing! That's awesome!" Um, I think mostly the reaction was good. Um, and then there's people like me who just like roll, you know, I just roll my eyes when I hear stuff like that. And I'm like, good grief. Like we don't need, we're not some like subset, like just like whatever. Like it bugs me when politicians like Joe Biden say things like, I promise to pick a woman. And he also said, I promise to nominate an African-American female to the Supreme Court. And like, yeah, those are like the two pledges he made, and it's like, okay, he already has a justice in mind, or a a nominee in mind. (laughs) I mean, I guess I don't know. You don't just say that. You have to have like a yeah, a couple options, and I know that there are have like a short list of VP candidates. But when I hear stuff like that, like my first reaction is to just roll my eyes and say, "This is ridiculous. We don't need you know some seventy-seven-year-old." white man politician being like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna like do you all this favor and select a woman to be my vice president like to me that's condescending and kind of sexist which is what he's trying to not do but like it has the opposite effect for me and i know that maybe i'm in the minority um but I don't know. I that's just how I feel about it and I don't know. I just, where we said it's very easy to be very critical of any kind of I see it as a stunt too. Yeah, yeah very much a stunt. But it's like definitely pandering. It's definitely a stunt. But knowing and Joe Biden is but, and it's like even even the liberal like feminists applauding him know that it's a stunt. Right? Like they're not stupid. Let's be fair though. <laughs> Joe Biden loves to be surrounded by women, so I think <laughs> This is true. I think he would probably generally prefer uh, whoever sh- whoever the lucky lady is, her yeah. company. I know. So, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, it'll be curious because I'm pretty convinced at this point he's going he's gonna to be the nominee. So I've been going over in my head, like, who is he going to pick? Mm-hmm. Um, who do you think? And I did this, like, really short twitter poll on my own personal twitter account sunday night during the debate to be like the options i put in were elizabeth warren kamala harris michelle obama or none of the above and like 60 percent oh michelle obama i didn't even think about that but like 60 percent like crazy like most of the people that took my little poll said none of the above so um very scientific so I'm, I'm like, racking my brain. Who would he pick? Like, I have no idea. I'm kind of curious. Um, I'm really curious, actually. Like, Joe Biden knows more people in Democratic politics than I think <laughs> most, yeah. most people do. So I don't think he's going to pick a conventional name that we would even think yeah. of. If anything, it's, it's going to be some smart, young woman that is totally outside of our radar and yeah. who will He'll probably pull a John McCain and pick like, you know, when John, like when John McCain picked Sarah Palin and everyone was like, who? Yeah. He picked, I like, think he'll, like, he'll I absolutely. Him doing that. Yeah. I think 
this is a situation it would be very similar that's what I'm thinking yeah it's got to be someone who's exciting mm-hmm. and rallies the base and excites them in a way that like Joe Biden is not and I think he realizes that and so um I don't know I bet he picks like a, a I know at least at the state level there are plenty of amazing like african-american women that are elected leaders so i I don't see how he doesn't pick one of them i can't even name i I, i'm not even gonna like start trying to name names but i i bet that's a hundred percent what happens like he just plucks someone out yeah yeah you're probably right because he he has so many inroads with the african-american community um i just feel like there would be a natural sink there um, and he'd feel really comfortable because he's smart enough. He's been around the block enough to where he's not going to just pick like a token. Mm-hmm. I know we're saying we're saying it's a stunt, but he's going to pick somebody who's smart and bright and bring something to the ticket, but also he can work with. So, yeah, yeah I think I think you're right. So anyway, so that's some 2020 news. I mean, other 2020 like news is basically down to Joe and Bernie, and um, I guess that's no surprise, but. Um, I, I think the other thing that uh, I wanted to touch on um, is Elizabeth Warren, and she dropped out right after Super Tuesday um, on March 5th, I think was the day that she officially announced that she was ending her campaign. Bye! <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, but when she dropped out, it, it was crazy for like a solid 48 hours, and I don't know if you saw this as much as I did. But there was so much hand-wringing amongst, like, feminists on the left saying that, like, how depressing it is that she ended her campaign um, and and how they're all now depressed and cynical about, like, we'll never have a female president in our lifetime. Elizabeth Warren was our best and, like, last hope for a woman president. And um, just essay after essay and think piece after think piece talking about how sexism ended her campaign and drove me bananas um for those couple days and like I I I, you know I pulled a few links for articles but like there were too many for me to even pull all of them and all the headlines are nuts like um I'm just going to read a couple of these headlines but um let's see so like one article and of course now my okay one article from the guardian um elizabeth warren endured sexism at every step of her campaign um uh let's see what else do we have here um i mean it's just even nbc the hill the atlantic like the cut like these are mainstream publications not even just like lefty sites like Salon or whatever talking about how Elizabeth Warren was a victim of sexism and that's why her campaign ended. Um, yeah, no, so the no. Whole they're, they're upset because Elizabeth Warren was like their girl. Like mm-hmm. these individual people, these think pieces, like that's who they wanted to win. That's the same reason why you didn't get those articles for Klobuchar. You didn't get those articles for... Well, I guess Tulsi is Tulsi still in, or did she drop she's out? Still in it officially, technically. Okay. But you, you didn't get it for Klobuchar. You didn't get it for Gillibrand or Kamala Harris. Yeah, Kamala is the one that I would probably might be the most deserving. Um, 
So, I mean, so Elizabeth Warren, like, talked about, well, you know, she was asked about it, obviously, when she ended her campaign, and the quotes she gave were just insufferable, and I want to read it, a couple of them. Um, so this one quote, she said, one of the hardest parts of this is all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years, Warren told reporters and supporters, um, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's going to be hard. That's the hardest part. Um, gender in this race, you know, this is the trap question for every woman. If you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? Like, it just drives me crazy. Like, just the insufferable, like, victimhood, like, thing that she embraced as she was dropping out. Um, and how everyone just, like, kind of, like, there was this whole wave of, like, Elizabeth Warren, the victim, that happened after she ended her campaign. Um, and there was this other Vox article, um, and it's titled, Why Women Are Feeling So Defeated After Elizabeth Warren's Loss. And the whole article is this long, big, like, probably the definitive think piece about why sexism ended her campaign. Um, and it talks about a lot of stuff, but it basically boils down to sexism was definitely a factor because Elizabeth Warren is ambitious and super intellectual and everyone says that's what they want in a president except when it's a woman and um, Americans just couldn't handle the fact that she was too intellectual and too ambitious and you know everyone knows that um, everyone is inherently sexist and they just don't like it when women are ambitious and that's why uh, she didn't win. No, like, so I here's here's what here's the um the subtweet I'm getting off mm -hmm. of this. I'm looking at all the articles you posted here. The yeah. Nation, the Hill, the Atlantic, the Guardian. Um, I mean, there's it, way medium articles from uh yeah. All of these are women that were supporters of Elizabeth Warren, but are also super caught up in the media. Um, it's like they're media socialites they like are in that orbit with all the guys what is sexist are the mainstream reporters and the newsroom and the hierarchy of the editors and the people that own the papers and people that are booking people and the not so much the producers but like the whole the sexism that goes into all that kind of stuff the media is sexist it's not the voters that are sexist explicitly like and so like that totally changes the coverage that these women get i'm not saying that she's like right in her assessment here but what what's really i think the um the undercurrent of all these articles are they are like totally subtweeting like their colleagues in the industry that's that's how i read this but like and i i take this as like we know for a fact that elizabeth warren had the lock on a certain corner of the Democratic primary voter market. And that corner is the New England, like white, yuppie, intellectual liberal. Like that the, that was her market and she couldn't expand beyond that. And so um, a lot of the people like doing all this hand wringing and in the media talking about sexism and Elizabeth Warren, like they're writing all these pieces because they are Elizabeth Warren voters. You know what I mean? Like, they were not Kamala Harris voters. They were not fans of Amy Klobuchar. They were Elizabeth Warren people. Just oh, yeah. Because that's who she attracted. Um, and 
you know, it's just interesting because a lot of these writers, and it's not just women writing these pieces, but a lot of these writers are saying, like, she's so qualified. She's the most qualified person. She's overqualified. There's no logical reason why voters wouldn't vote for her except for sexism. Like, that's the only thing we can come up with because she's so freaking qualified. There's no reason why she shouldn't be president. And so it must be sexism. And that to it's me, just, and that to me, me it's funny. It's like, because repeating the same mistakes of 2016 of fundamentally not understanding the average American voter. And when an average American voter looks at Elizabeth Warren, they don't see what the, you know, writers and the, the writers at Vox see when they see Elizabeth Warren. But these I think what's, yeah, what's missing, there. what's missing in the context of these articles are when voters are looking at their ballot box and they're looking at their, they're looking at their sheet. Um, they're thinking, mm, I don't think they like any of the options. They're just going to pick the least bad one. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like a likability thing. Like, oh, it's only sexist to say like, I don't like Elizabeth Warren. I freaking didn't like um, Pete Buttigieg. I didn't like... I really loved Andrew Yang, but he just seemed like a really good person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've always, Biden has always been my favorite Democrat on, or my favorite like leftist yeah. person. But like, even now it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't even. Well, even, I mean, so it's just, it's, to, well, I would say, you know, like you and I would probably not vote for any of these people. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, I mean, with I the exception of Tulsi. I do. I do like Tulsi. But, like, that's, I like her. She seems authentic. She doesn't seem like she's putting on a show or anything like that. All of the other ones kind of did. Um, yeah. I don't like people I, that look like they're I trying too hard. Yeah, I mean, I, but I can understand that, like, my critiques of Elizabeth Warren are completely warped by my, um, you know, conservative worldview. And, you know, I can sit here and say I think that she's, lies to fit her you know she's an opportunist and she's a liar and she comes off as as if she's like scolding everybody and she's not very likable but you know and i can sit here and say all that stuff and say that's why people don't vote for her but i know that like my opinion of her is skewed um so i I, you know i don't want to put that on like democratic primary voters and say that's why they rejected her but yeah yeah, I think it's very unfair and short-sighted to say, you know, she's so perfect, and the only reason you wouldn't vote for her is because of sexism. Mm-hmm. And to and to me, that's just making the mistake once again that they made four years ago of just not understanding voters outside yeah. of the New York, D.C. media bubbles. Yeah, and call me color me difficult but like i just can't stomach the idea of politicians that are revolutionaries from the comfort of their you know million dollar plus like network net worth railing against railing against the powers it's just like i get like i'm not expecting politicians to be broke like to meet the, the worst case scenario but like come on like let's be real for a second yeah, you're I mean, privileged, and you then you talk about like if we really want to talk about privilege, the people that preach against privilege and wag their fingers in your face are the most privileged of them all. It's like yeah. thou 
does protest too much. <laughs> like, <laughs> stop it. Like, yeah, I mean, I, Lauren definitely struggled with that. I mean, and there were a lot of mistakes that she made in her campaign, a lot of issues that she had as a candidate. And I, you know, I don't think it's worth it for us at this point to go through all of them. Yeah. But, or helpful at this point. But I mean, I don't know. It just drives me crazy, A, when people just put all these assumptions on voters without, when they actually don't really know. And it's crazy because this Fox article is pretty long and it goes through all this stuff about like, how is definitely sexism? And then you get to the bottom, like, I don't know, where is it? Bottom, like, three paragraphs or something. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And it's like, I don't know, I can't find it right now. Should I I say like it's impossible to know for sure if sexism is actually what ended her campaign and it's like duh you know you spent like 1500 words telling us it was and now you're finally admitting like it's really impossible to know but um I just feel like that's always the case and yeah like are there stupid like sexist people out there of course there are but um I I just I I read these articles and I don't see them frustrated with the people I see them frustrated with the system mm-hmm. and because if, um, if it really those are those are articles I'd much rather read I'd much rather read an article um you know Jessica Valenti yeah. you know she waxes on and on about this kind of stuff you know the article I would like to see her write and maybe she has written it so like whoops um but talk about the system your system your side your um sisters in arms that aren't doing what you think that they should be doing don't stop talking about the other side um like they're and as much as is how partisan america is right now mm-hmm. i think people are more frustrated with the problems that they see that are closer to home yeah that are uh-huh. in their work that are in their political party that are in their church you know and i think that's where we just need to start focusing on yeah, it's very I- much the parable the yeah. splinter or the speck in your eye versus splinter versus the log mm-hmm. um yeah, I, yeah think that's, I, I, I agree. And, and you know, some, to their credit, like some of these writers have kind of taken it like out of politics a little bit and extrapolated. I mean, I still don't like, totally agree with how they get there, but have tried to extrapolate Elizabeth Warren's defeat to just cultural sexism and the idea that we all have inherent sexism, sexism like, like we all have it it's like learned um as you grow up and it's just like inherent in all of us and that's partly um just and Elizabeth Warren is just like another reason why we need to tackle misogyny and sexism head-on and I don't I'm not saying here like as a sexism denier and I don't think you are either like we both know sexism exists I mean we've both experienced it at various points in our lives um and we've, ta- we've even talked about on this podcast before about, like, how it's difficult sometimes, especially in the workplace, to be viewed as a ambitious or, like, overly ambitious woman. And sometimes it bites yeah. you in the butt. Um, and there's it's a double-edged sword, and, like, that sucks. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that maybe for some people they were turned off by Elizabeth Warren for that reason. Like, I can't say that it didn't happen. But I just think that to write her defeat off is just an example of how 
misogynistic our culture is, um, is just lazy and intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Because she, when you know, the same thing happened when Hillary lost, like she didn't lose because she was a woman. She lost because she was a horrible candidate yeah. and didn't campaign well and made a lot of mistakes. And Elizabeth Warren made a lot of mistakes. And um, I don't know, like, I guess those are my thoughts, but there you go. Yeah, well. Now I'm rambling. Well, no, I, I just, <laughs> if we think Elizabeth Warren made a lot of mistakes, hello, Joe Biden. It's going <laughs> to be a really fun next couple of months with you. So, like, I, I, I do, I get, I totally, I sympathize with them. The, the empathy level is out of this roof. One thing that, you know, I've been coming to terms with over the last several years because I deal so much in like voter electoral politics mm -hmm. is that there is definitely, definitely, and I, I don't, it's not overt sexism, but there are women out there that, you know, they do the thing where they say, oh, they, they can seem like the most infuriating people on the campaign trail because they ask you a ton of questions like, well, where's your husband? Do you have a kid? Can you really do this if you still have all this kind of stuff? Like, why are you wearing your hair like that? And you're just like, what is wrong with this person? Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I've, I think there are, I'm not saying a lot of women, but I think there is definitely enough to like group them as like a type of women who are hard, proud women that have tried to go far in whatever aspect of their life they were trying to go, whether that was career or like civic life or a charity like board or whatever and just gotten slapped down and just faced a lot of just hardships and just like never made it through and I think whether or not they are consciously like thinking about it like in a lot of ways they're trying to quote-unquote spare younger women the agony and the pain of going through uh just kind of knowing like the obstacles that they face and I really do think just we should be more introspective to think if we if if that is like if we're trying to like give somebody mercy mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like if they're willing to step up to do a job I think we should not just discount them right away and then I can't speak for men because I'm not a man and I haven't had enough conversations with men or I'm not around men that even think this way to to put them in there but I have definitely talked to several older women that I think that's what's going on there. And I don't think we get a lot of older listeners on this show, but like, hey, please email us and let us know if you are older because I'm pretty <laughs> sure our demographic is like women in their 20s and 30s, like younger women. Um, wait, I mean, <laughs> huge caveat there. We're all young. <laughs> <laughs> we can have 90-year-old young listeners. Sorry, that was very like... Age is just a number, Sarah. It's just a number, so please please forgive me. Um, but I, I think that is a general underlying theme in a lot of these think pieces, especially when we're talking about like Elizabeth Warren's law or dropping out or Hillary Clinton's dropping out because they are um, accomplished women in their own right. And it's easy for us on the other side who would never vote for them just because of all, all these legitimate reasons, not sexist reasons whatsoever to, to justify why they lost. But I think there are a lot of people on the left who maybe are um, that I think there, there's always some truth to everything. Now, yeah. is it the whole picture? Absolutely not. But yeah. I, I didn't want to just completely 
curb stops. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, you're right. Um, if there probably is an aspect to it and you know, on this podcast, we've never denied that sexism is a reality that women have to deal with, and it sucks. And um, whether you're Democrat or Republican, you're probably faced it at some point in your life. Um, and I'm sure Elizabeth Warren has too. And I'm not saying it like wasn't a factor at all, but mm-hmm. I think we can all, if we're all honest, when you look at her That's campaign. And That's not why not, she lost. Like, no, it's not. It's definitely not why she lost. You know, it's not like this whole narrative that she was too perfect and she was so overqualified that the only explanation is that people are sexist is just wrong. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that I think we, you and I both have um, wanted to really like kind of fight back against with this podcast is just the, narr- the notion that everything is explained by sexism and the reality is it's really not yeah if anything i'd say she was she was more on the like level of pete where if you're too much of a goody two-shoes nobody likes perfect people um that always just works against you everybody likes the lovable goof or the the jock or the like class comedian that's why in high school those are always the people get elected class president or student body president and it is no different when we scale it all the way up to the president of the United States. For better or for people, worse, you know. People vote for the jock or the comedian or, you know, some sort of variation of that person. You're never getting like a, uh, I can't even think of yeah. a type A type personality right now. But I mean, goody two shoes you, you never need, gonna win people are just inherently like want to vote for someone who they think that they can hang out with and, and but well would also trust them in a time of crisis and i'm sorry but like maybe elizabeth lauren just didn't fit the bill for a lot of people i honestly do think a lot of times people end up voting for people like at the presidential level i think people vote for people that they wish they could be or could see themselves as more so than just like hanging out with somebody like i think that explains donald trump's win so much i think people wish they were rich wish they lived in you know manhattan and that air of success and stuff like maybe they're thinking if he's running the country a little bit of that'll rub off on me kind of thing who knows that's not a bad theory um anyway so that's my Elizabeth Warren rant for the evening. And unless she becomes, you know, Joe Biden's running mate, I'm guessing we won't be discussing her a whole lot more. Um, but uh, I totally doubt it. I know. <laughs> Me too. But um, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the race. We're down to two. Looks like it's going to be Joe Biden, you know, who you know, whatever, like that wasn't predictable, but, um, should be interesting. But is there anything else uh, you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, the the one thing I will add is we're not getting a lot of feedback from our listeners and I want to see how are you guys surviving the coronavirus? If you have any tips for how we can cope with this together, just like hit us up on Twitter. I think that's the most fun way to engage with everybody yeah. but also facebook um we have email uh not or nyafpod at 
wait, no, it's hello at <laughs> nyafpod.com. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, just like, let us know what you want to talk about. What are you talking about with your friends right now? Um, any pet peeves? We're going to have several weeks quarantined. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about stuff. Do you want to be on the podcast and tell us what you're thinking in real life? Let's do it. So anyways, please connect with us. I think that would be awesome. Yes. Agreed. All right. Well, until next time, everyone be safe and social distance. Stay healthy.